Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview a high-profile public figure. In each show, I also highlight an exceptional company, organization, charity, or even an individual that does great work in the community. After the headlines today, I have an interview with Congresswoman Nanette Berrigan from California's 44th Congressional District. So stay tuned. Let's go over the latest COVID-19 numbers worldwide as well as the U.S. Throughout the world, there have been 3,480,000 infections, 1,110,000 people have recovered, and 246,000 people have died. In the United States, 1.17 million people have been infected, 152,000 people have recovered, 67,300 people have died. In terms of Southern California, we've had 52,197 infections, 2,172 people have died. As always, if you are looking for the latest numbers and updates, the best resources are CDC, World Health Organization, as well as the Johns Hopkins University. Fracking billionaire and Trump donor Harold Hamm was among an elite group of oil and gas executives who met with the president in early April to press for federal help, including access to big loans for businesses hurt by the coronavirus pandemic. It prompted Trump afterwards to promise to make funds available to these very important companies, end quote. Major Trump ally Tommy Fisher, who last year landed a $400 million Army Corps of Engineers contract to build 31 miles of Trump's border wall in Arizona, in April received another $7 million from the Army, despite an active investigation by a Pentagon watchdog into allegations of favoritism after Trump reportedly pushed for Fisher. This is all according to The Guardian. Another big Trump donor, Mike Lindell, the chief executive of MyPillow and the chair of Trump's campaign in Minnesota, got red carpet treatment from Trump at a press briefing in late March. Lindell then praised Trump, hailing him a chosen by God as the president touted the firm's efforts to make thousands of face masks. Apparently, there are reports that he is uh, going to be running for the governor of Minnesota. We'll see about that. Uh, Continental Resources, the company Hamp founded and is the major shareholder in, has donated almost $1 million to the pro-Trump super PAC, America First Action. Hamp gave $50,000 to Trump Victory, a joint fundraising committee, according to the Center for Responsive Politics. Trump's oil and gas meeting also drew billionaire Kelsey Warren, the chief of energy transfer partners, which developed the controversial Dakota Access Pipeline. 
Warren and his wife donated more than 720000 to Trump victory, according to CRP. Separately, Trump personally backed the Army Corps of Engineers, handing the $400 million in contract to Fisher's North Dakota-based company, Fisher Sand and Gravel, despite concerns the Corps had about Fisher's wall proposal. This is according to the Washington Post. So basically... As Americans are waiting for their unemployment checks, some are still waiting for their 1200 uh, from the stimulus package, and losing their homes, their businesses. People at the very top, the billionaires, the millionaires, the Fortune 500 companies, anyone that does favors for Trump or is pro-Trump is getting not only the lion's share of taxpayers' money, but also the red carpet treatment. Over the weekend, we saw people's defiance to all the local, state, and federal guidelines for COVID-19. You had one group that took to the beaches, the parks, the trails, and laxed social distancing. And the more alarming one were the vigilante groups who started protests across the country, some of them carrying guns, as in Michigan, case was in Michigan, demanding that the country, quote-unquote, goes back to normal, which is absurd. I don't know how they could even say that or ask that when every expert, including experts with the White House, are saying that we're not even near to anything like that to just uh, open up business and take the country back to what it was, if that's even possible. So there's been a lot of that uneasiness and that defiance that's come out um, over the weekend, and we'll see where that leads. President Trump has made moves to replace the acting inspector general at the Department of Health and Human Services, Christy Grimm, after her office issued a report about COVID-19. Trump was angered by a report last month highlighting supply shortages and testing delays at hospitals during the coronavirus pandemic. The White House waited until after business hours on Friday to announce the nomination of a new inspector general for the department, who, if confirmed, would take over for Christy Grimm, the primary deputy inspector general, who was actually publicly assailed by the president at a news briefing three weeks ago. Let's get blunt. Today, I want to get blunt about the confusion that exists and keeps growing in the country regarding COVID-19. As far as where we are, what's true, what's not, what's fiction, who can we believe? There is so much inconsistency out there. People are hearing different things from different places, different people. Of course, um, our president and our leadership in D.C. is no help. We don't really know if what they're telling us is true. We know that a lot of it isn't. Our leaders here locally in California, of course, are doing a great job, Governor Newsom, as well as uh, Mayor Garcetti. However, people are still hearing inconsistencies. So they're confused. They see a lot of people in Newport Beach with no social distancing. But then a few days later, Governor Newsom says that all the beaches and hiking trails and such are closed. Then there is the confusion about all the aid. Now, I think Americans have been very respectful, very patient and understanding 
but the fact that all the agencies and organizations are very in, are inundated with um, cases and, and filings and such, uh, which includes, of course, the unemployment office. But there are people who have not received their first unemployment check after about five weeks, just a few persons that I've spoken with, and others who have not received similar types of aids that they were supposed to, websites crashing all the time. Some have not been able to even register or to do whatever it is they're supposed to do in order to get some aid. In terms of the Angelino card, I keep asking and searching for one single person who was not declined for that. So there's a lot of confusion about that. The PPP loans has been a mess. People have not been able to file. Banks who have had confusing and um, contradicting information about it, something that's supposed to help small businesses, small businesses that are at risk of going into bankruptcy. So this confusion exists. People are reading different stories, editorial news, and seeing things on social media. They are going on websites, they're going to different organization and um, government websites, and it's just creating more confusion. And we don't really know where we are because we lack leadership from the very top. It's not trickling down from Washington, D.C., and that is probably the biggest problem and the biggest cause for this challenge that we're having. So just wanted to get blunt about that. Let's get blunt. Congresswoman Nanette Berrigan was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in November 2016, becoming the first Latina ever to represent California's 44th congressional district, which includes communities of Carson, Compton, North Long Beach, San Pedro, and many others. Prior to practicing law for 10 years, uh, Congresswoman Berrigan served as an extern to Justice Carlos Marino of the Supreme Court of California and at the Los Angeles Legal Aid Foundation, where she fought for justice for low-income families. Uh, Congresswoman Berrigan is the second vice chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus and a member of the Progressive Caucus. She serves on the House Committee on Homeland Security and was appointed to the exclusive House Committee on Energy and Commerce. Congresswoman Berrigan, uh, thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, I appreciate your time in this busy, crazy period and crisis we're going through. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, as I was sort of reading in the last few days about you, I thought yet another uh, member of Congress who's had health care on top of our agenda. Uh, how ironic. Um, and then, of course, I, I know couple of the very recent uh, initiatives that you've had. But first, I wanted to um, ask you from your perspective where we are with COVID-19. Since things happen so quickly, and those of us who are sort of not in D.C. or in the, in the political sphere uh, have a different perspective. Well, uh, we are you know, still having this uh, pandemic, and it really is a health crisis. Uh, we're hearing from people in the district who... Uh, still have a lot of concerns, still issue with access to testing. 
you know, every day we see the need for further action to combat the coronavirus. Uh, the numbers really are devastating, uh, with over a million confirmed cases. Uh, I've been looking today to see uh, the LA Public County Health um, numbers, and we've seen a jump in our district of the southern part and San Pedro. Terminal Island has had a very huge jump as well. Uh, so, you know, my colleagues in Congress, uh, Democrats have really been focused on protecting lives during this public health crisis. And number two, protecting families, workers, and small businesses from the economic hardship uh, during these challenging times. And so that's kind of been our focus and making sure that we continue to push testing, testing, testing so that everybody gets access to testing. Now, we passed the first CARES bill, and then we did this interim relief recently, which we really had to fight to get in protections for small businesses. So money was going to those left behind, like uh, minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, veterans-owned businesses, and to give more money to hospitals. Believe it or not, that was a democratic value that we had to push for uh, to get more money for hospitals and healthcare workers. So we're happy to see that change as well as more money for testing. But there's a lot more work we have to do and we are already talking about the next bill and what the American people need. Yeah, that was a lot of great information, very dense. Um, so I want to go back and ask you a couple of things. You said that there's been a jump in your district. Are we talking in the last few days, a week? In the last few days, we have seen a jump. Um, I'll give you an example. Just today, we saw the numbers for San Pedro um, that have increased. At Terminal Island, which is a federal uh, prison that's in my district, we've seen an enormous jump. Uh, they went some... There was about 53 last week positive, and we're up to oh, about 600 uh, today. Wow. So, yeah, and, and that's a problem when you have uh, this prison system where it's hard to practice social distancing, uh, where you can't isolate people like you can at home, and this is a low-security prison. Um, we know that the Attorney General has actually written a memo asking them to prioritize home confinement for those facilities that are high impacted and uh, for vulnerable populations, and they haven't moved fast enough. So we've been trying to put the pressure on locally to make sure that that happens. When I say locally, I mean at all levels, the warden, the AG, because it's local and we need to make sure that we protect the health of our inmates. Um, they should not get a sentence to go do time for less than two years and end up with a death sentence because they're becoming infected uh, with coronavirus. Absolutely. And I was uh, I noticed that you pinned the Los Angeles Times article about that on your website. Here, that kind of a jump is very alarming. And I say that knowing that in the last week, sensibility of some Americans have changed. We are sort of, I don't know if it's social pressure or economic pressure, but people are starting to loosen up on social distancing and such. And I, I'm seeing that we're becoming a little bit more lax. Is this alarming to you? It is because uh, I think the sense is that people have been staying in, they've been staying home, they've been doing their part, and they haven't maybe seen the jumps and the overflow of hospitals that we've seen in other places like New York. And 
and I'm afraid that people are interpreting that to say, oh, well, it's not that bad here. Oh, we're going to be okay. And the reason that we haven't had that, I believe, is because people have been doing such a good job in adhering to the stay-at-home order, in adhering to uh, the physical distancing. Uh, but if we let up and we just forget all about that, we're going to see this come back stronger. And they keep talking about the second wave, uh, and it could get worse. Is we, we can't do that. You know, until we have a treatment, until we have a vaccine, we've got to continue to take precautionary measures. And uh, it has been heartbreaking to see today uh, all these protests in Orange County um, and people out there in masses really putting each other in in harm's way. And I know how hard it is. It's difficult, but we need to um, we need to listen to the public health officials who are monitoring the numbers or monitoring the curve. Um, we really should be protecting each other, not endangering our our neighbors and our community. Well said. You're listening to The Blunt Post with Vic. This is your host, Vic Jaramie, with an interview with Congresswoman Nanette Berrigan from California's 44th Congressional District. Congresswoman, NBC News reported today that the unemployed or unemployment claims hit 30 million. We were already sort of in trouble and most people would are getting, at least for now, a single check for 1200 and yet unemployment keeps going up as companies are laying off. I personally don't think D.C., federal government, is doing enough to, one, in any kind of a long-term, to see a long-term solution or at least help, and especially uh, short-term, what are we going to do now? I don't see anything... It seems like everyone is just, it's very difficult to get the president, naturally, to really see the the big, huge problem and the impending trouble that we're going to be in. You're, you're absolutely right. And let's remember that when, when we saw the Republican proposal on the first CARES Act, they were going to only give a $600 check. Right. People on the lower end of the income scale, up to about forty-five thousand, you're only at six hundred dollars, which is outrageous. It's quite opposite. The people who are living paycheck to paycheck, the people who can't afford that emergency, you know, five hundred dollars uh, unexpected bill for the month, are the ones who need the help the most. And it was really House Democratic values that said, "No, you know what? We are going to fight." Uh, to get people the relief they need, uh, which is how we got to the 1200. But let me tell you, that's not enough. And we know that's not enough. House Democrats uh, said that from the beginning, uh, which is why we um, have looked at different uh, options out there of you know universal income during the crisis. Um, we are talking right now about the next payment. Um, how much and when are the two questions um, that we are discussing. The problem right now is we can't do anything without the Senate and the President. So it, it, it's, it is a, a negotiation that continues. Uh, we want to help put more money um, into the pockets of the American people. We have to also look at the unemployment benefit to see if that's going to have to be extended. Um, there's a need, I believe, to do hazard pay for those who are risking their lives uh, who are on the front lines, uh, whether it's in our hospitals, our grocery stores, our farm workers, 
I think they should be paid a hazard pay. Um, we're also trying to get money to police, fire, and, and teachers locally. That's the fight over the state and local government money. But let me talk about one quick thing that I think is really important. Sure. Is, and we're talking about is we need longer-term solutions for people who are at risk of eviction or foreclosure. Absolutely. And so the temporary moratorium is one thing. It's a good start. But the uncertainty for people, they're not going to be able to pay a balloon payment at the end of the rent they couldn't pay. So we're looking at different options for that. Uh, But it's hard, as you mentioned, when you have an administration and when you have colleagues on the other side of the aisle who don't believe it's up to the government to help the American people. Uh, So we we have to keep that up. Um, And we have to fight to get our mixed uh, families fairness, all of our taxpayers' fairness, who are left out of any kind of a, a stimulus payment. Yeah, and a fight it is, and I admire um, members of Congress such as yourself, Congresswoman Pelosi, Congressman Adam Schiff, uh, Maxine Waters, Ted Lieu, Judy Chu, those of you that are not afraid to stand up and push back and uh, fight for the American people. Um, I keep saying this, and I'm going to say it again. Those of us in California are lucky to have Uh, representatives like yourself and leaders like you and Governor Newsom and uh, Mayor Garcetti and such. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I I mean that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I also want to talk about your, and this happened yesterday, your Improving Social Determinants of Healthcare Act 2020. Give you an opportunity to tell us what that's about, the specifics of Absolutely. So we've been hearing a lot of stories recently under COVID-19, how, you know, different people are are vulnerable more than others. Um, But it's the latest disease, uh, COVID-19, to uh, actually infect and kill Latinos and and African-Americans at higher rates than people in the rest of the population. And so this is the, basically the impact of racial health disparities. It's a disparity in health. Um, it's a disparity that more Latinos and African-Americans may have respiratory issues, so they may have a higher rate of, um, of dying of when they contract this. I've seen this, uh, what this crisis has done in my own community, which is almost 90% Latino, African-American, uh, low-income, very working class, and sometimes there's the issue of having access to services they need. And so this bill, um, it looks at social factors like housing conditions, employment status, uh, food security, environmental safety, educational opportunities. Those all play a role in determining an individual's physical health and well-being. And so the, the act, uh, the bill that we have will explore the social, economic, and the environmental factors that drive this inequality. And then it will fund programs that address these issues. So it really empowers the public health departments and community organizations to address these social factors that cause some communities to be so much less healthy than others. So we're trying to close that gap um, of the disparities in health so everybody has equal access. Uh, so we can take away um, that uh, Latinos are going to have higher rates of something or that they don't have access to health care uh, like other counterparts. And so um, this, I think, is a necessary program 
it will certainly be helpful for the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, because it's this would create a uh, social determinant of health program there. But uh, when you talk about, you know, low income, you talk about, you know, disparity, um, you're looking right at the 44th where we see it uh, pretty prominently happening every day. Yeah, in real time. And um, Absolutely. Uh, also, your bill has over 130 supported or sponsored organizations um, that are supporting this bill. And, uh, of course, the way you explained it, um, very easy to understand that this is just another um, sort of piece of the puzzle that needs to be worked out. Um, we Absolutely. All, we, we, all have a, we all have a very long road ahead. And, uh, you know, once COVID-19 as a virus is under control, it's not going to be the end of COVID-19, as we all know. There's a lot That's of work right. to be done with unemployment, with health care. Uh, hopefully, one of the good things that could come out of this silver lining would be our health care. You've talked about and support the Affordable Care Act and making sure that it stays and no changes are made until we're past COVID-19. And it's so ironic that, not ironic, it's more like sad that we are actually <laughs> questioning the Affordable Care Act uh, ever, mm-hmm. but especially now when uh, so many people are, are just at the minimal, they're receiving the minimal, hardworking Americans, and yet um, the Republican Party, let's be blunt, uh, are fighting mm-hmm. to fighting to take away just the minimal that Americans are given, thanks to President Obama and leadership of, of the House. Right, and we have to continue to fight so that every American has access to health care and that nobody's left behind. Um, and that's, you know, I think, something that we want to move toward. And uh, for now, you're right, we're fighting back because the, the president has got a lawsuit going and, and they're also... You know, in Congress, trying to strip away rights for people with pre-existing conditions and and uh, not really help those that are in need, and that's uh, really unfortunate, especially during this time. For sure. Uh, Congresswoman, uh, before uh, we go, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Maybe a question I didn't ask. Any, any news? Well, um, I think that the biggest thing I want to just remind uh, folks is, you know, this is a challenging time. Uh, we are going to get through this together. I hope that uh, people continue to adhere to public health officials and they're washing their hands, they're using the mask, they're staying home when they can. You know, let's help our neighbors and our friends out. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. You know, we are working in Congress to help the American people. The wheels of government sometimes turn slowly, but we're going to continue to push um, to make sure we're taking care of families and we're taking care of um, working folks because we're going to continue to fight for the people and uh, make sure they get their fair share. Fantastic. Um, Congresswoman Berrigan, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Have a good weekend. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Congresswoman Nanette Berrigan from Southern California's 44th Congressional District. Thank you very much, Congresswoman. The Blunt Post with Vic. 
Today, I want to talk to you about You Are Essential. You Are Essential is a social impact campaign and national relief fund that awards grants to grassroots organizations and mutual aid networks working directly with vulnerable communities disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. I have a special interview with its founder, Ashley Marie Preston. So let's take a listen. Ashley Marie Preston is an award-winning media personality, cultural commentator, social impact strategist, political analyst, and civil rights activist. She is historically the first trans woman to become the editor-in-chief of a national publication and the first openly trans person to run for state office in California. Ashley Marie was chosen as one of Coca-Cola's next generation LGBTQ leadership influencers of 2018. Also, she was honored as one of Essence Magazine's Woke 100 of 2019 and is a former national surrogate for Elizabeth Warren's 2020 presidential campaign. Thank you, Ashley, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am well. Thank you. Thanks for um, coming on the show to talk about uh, You Are Essential. Uh, I'm going to be saying a few words about you, you are essential, but I feel like you can do it justice. So if you can tell our listeners what you are essential is. Well, essentially, you are essential is a social impact campaign and national fund that goal is to um, fund and support uh, mutual aid networks, grassroots organizations all over the country who are combating food insecurity, housing instability, and barriers to access that are often encountered by the elderly, disabled, immunocompromised, and the deeply marginalized. So essentially the goal is to, um, to, to, to make sure that we're meeting people at their point of need, and more importantly, redefining and expanding our definition of what it means to be essential. I know um, in news coverage and um, publications, they often talk about an essential worker possibly being um, someone who works in the healthcare industry, which those people are very important and vital to our survival. Also, you have people like cashiers and you have people like sanitation workers, postal workers, um, people even without a job right now. I think that there's a part that we can all play, and so our value shouldn't solely be based on your um, economic standing or your profession. Absolutely. I I think... You know, sometimes it's after someone says something or does something when one realizes, at least I can speak for myself, when I heard that the definition of essential workers, that that can be looked at, examined, and possibly edited, I thought, of course, of course it can't be. And so when you're telling us about you are essential, it just makes so much sense that, you know, especially now when, and I was talking about this earlier where there's so much uncertainty, but not just uncertainty, but confusion as to what, where are we, where are we going, what's true, what's not true, and the confusion of all the supposed aid and help and grants and loans and all of that, that everyone is um, sort of worried about because so many people are not getting the help. So uh, it's so apropos to really re-examine what it means to be essential. Well, not only that, it's an opportunity to really honor, uplift, and support grassroots leaders who have been doing this work long before the pandemic. Um, I think mutual aid networks 
when you think about how they came about, um, it started even around the time of the Black Panthers when the free school lunch program, that was actually done by the Black Panthers. And so there were a bunch of store owners, business owners, uh, community leaders who raised the money so that they could make sure that that children were able to eat lunch uh, no matter how much um, their parents made. And so as we talk about mutual aid networks on the national stage, we understand that it's an opportunity to offer grassroots solutions when uh, top-down government solutions have failed. And a lot of people right now are afraid because they put all of their eggs in one basket. And we see under the current administration that there really isn't a solid um, emergency plan for this. And so I think it's an opportunity for us all to go within and figure out what we can do for ourselves and one another so that we can uh, help sustain our society. Well said. Ashley, how did you come up with the idea? The What's the genesis of it? I think... Ultimately, I'm someone who is at risk um, of contracting COVID-19 because I'm asthmatic and I have a lot of respiratory complications uh, on a regular day. (laughs) And so as an activist and organizer, someone who's done this work in many other ways, it made me feel powerless because I quite literally couldn't go to the store even with a mask. It makes me afraid. Um, And so I was wondering sort of like, what can I do to, I think, one, reignite hope um, and and inspire and empower people to really uh, be the solution. Um, and the only way that I knew how to do that was via social media. So it was just really talking to everyday people who, you know, maybe they didn't work in healthcare or they didn't... Um, but maybe they can bake bread, and so they were willing to bake bread for the homeless or for the elderly, or maybe if that person was going to the supermarket, like uh, one of my roommates did, you know, they uh, went to the store, you know, for me to pick up things, and they were able to get my medication for me. There's just these small things that may seem like they're small um, compared to everything happening, but they're helping make someone else's life easier. So I think that the larger message of the You Are Essential campaign is that you are essential to someone else's well-being and they're essential to yours. So it's the spirit of solidarity, not charity. So just thinking about how we can show up to one another and build the spirit of reciprocity and uh, collective collaboration and support for one another. Wow, absolutely. A be of service. You are listening to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, with an interview with Ashley Marie Preston from the campaign, You Are Essential. Um, Ashley, I understand that other organizations have wanted to come uh, on board, as well as celebrities who have endorsed and donated. Uh, Can you possibly talk about that? Yeah, so the first donation that we got was from Gabrielle and uh, Dwayne Wade, and uh, Dwayne Wade, and that was amazing because we often see. I think one of the most challenging things right now is watching um, people with these large platforms somewhat bury their heads in the sand, <laughs> where they have an opportunity to really either donate money or even use their social capital, right, just to be like, hey, this is an important thing, and so let me 
not center myself and make this about me, but let me actually tell you about these other organizations who are doing amazing things. And so you obviously have amazing people like Lady Gaga, who also uh, went out and raised, um, I believe it was like $137 million, um, on behalf of who, the World Health Organization, who did that quietly. Uh, you also seen Rihanna, um, Rihanna, who did that uh, for the Carolina Foundation. And so we do have some of these uh, power players who are on the front lines doing what they can in that way. But then you also have many others who are somewhat complacent and just, um, unfortunately, in a weird way, now that COVID has shut everything down, they're, I guess, shining in their full narcissism. And so I think that for people like Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade and um, other individuals um, who are nameless at this time, but they are going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks when we roll out our uh, social messaging uh, campaign and videos, then they'll make it clear that this is something important for us all to get involved in. And it doesn't matter, again, um, how much money you make, like your income bracket, what you do for a living, um, how old you are. I think that there is something that we can all do to make someone else's life easier. Okay, well, absolutely. Any call to action, anything you want to tell our listeners or you want them to do? How can they be a part of it and contribute? Well, you can go to www.youareessential.org and you can do one of uh, three things, actually. You can either donate money and or you can use the map that we have on our page with... um, the mutual aid hub, you can enter in your zip code and it'll show you which mutual aid networks are in your area. And lastly, if there isn't a mutual aid network that's close enough to you, there's a database and toolkit that'll show you how to develop your or establish a, a mutual aid network in your area that meets your community's needs. And as always, please share um, the hashtag you are essential and share videos, pictures, messages, you know. Show love to your cashier. Show love to your uh, your postal uh, service worker, the sanitation worker, someone in your family, your doctor. Um, anything that's going to be um, messages that raise the vibration. And I think that's what a lot of us need right now because there's so much um, stressful content and information being disseminated on a daily basis. Um, yeah. You look up and now they're talking about... Um, um, uh, murder hornets and all these other things like there's always something to yeah. make us stressed out but I think there's still so much beauty left in the world to uncover and I hope that we're able to do that with well, well thank you for you know, doing it and spearheading it it's very um, inspiring and um, just once again for our listeners uh, that's youareessential.org sorry I also uh, want to acknowledge the, also, um, the team who's been doing so much to help me move this along um, Mike Delarocha and his team at Revolve Impact, um, Charles Paxton um, at Viacom, uh, Stephen Macias, who's the Executive VP of Multicultural Communications at Rogers and Cohen PMK, Justin Tranter, who is an amazing individual who's also going to be bringing in talent to work with us on the social campaign. Um, just so many amazing people that, again, I wouldn't be able to do this without their uh, help. Wow, yeah, that, it takes a village, and uh, it sounds like a lot of people stepped up, so 
Thank you for letting us know, Ashley. Uh, once again, listeners, that's youareessential.org, and the hashtag is youareessential. So use it, check out the website, and do uh, what you can. Ashley, uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic, and good luck out there. Thank you. That was Ashley Marie Preston talking to us about You Are Essential. Thank you, Ashley, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. Today's quote comes from the great Noam Chomsky, and he said, If Trump is re-elected, it's an indescribable disaster. It means that the policies of the past four years, which have been extremely destructive to the American population, to the world, will be continued and probably accelerated. What this is going to mean for health is bad enough. What this means for the environment or the threat of nuclear war, which no one is talking about, is extremely serious and indescribable. That's the great Noam Chomsky who recently said that about uh, the election coming up and the threat of Donald Trump being re-elected. Take my sins and wash them away Teach me how to pray I've been stranded here in the dark Take these walls away
risky Yeah, we can get high and we can get stoned And we can sniff glue and we can do E and we can drop acid Forever be lost with no way home Yeah, we can run and we can hide But we won't find the answers If you go down, then you'll get help along the way But if you wanna save your soul Then we should travel all together And make the devil pray Ooh, sing hallelujah I want to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, who is extraordinary. I'm so grateful for Ricky. Uh, This show would not be possible without him. Um, I also want to thank you for joining me today for The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. Uh, For more information, you can visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Vic Jaramie. Both of those have the same handle, at Vic Jaramie, V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Have a safe, healthy, and successful week.